0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books in Irish Studies, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. My name is Aidan Beattie. I'm one of the co-hosts of this channel. Today we're joined by Dieter Reinisch, a Government of Ireland Irish Research Council fellow in the School of Political Science and Sociology at the University of Galway. Uh, And Dieter is also an adjunct professor in international relations at Webster University at their Vienna campus. Dr. Reinish holds a PhD in history from the European University Institute in Florence, and a master's degree from the University of Vienna, and is also a fellow of the Royal Historical Society. Before joining the University of Galway, he held research positions at the Central European University in Budapest, the University of St Andrews in Scotland, and Ruhr University in Germany. Since 2016, he serves on the editorial board of the academic open access journal Study Irlandesi, and *Journal of Irish Studies* published by Florence University Press. In addition to his new book on Republican prisoners in Ireland, which we'll be talking about quite a bit in a moment, he is the author of Performing Memory, Corporeality, Visuality and Mobility After 1968, co-edited with uh, Luisa Passerini, and published with Bergan Books, and Irish Republican Counterpublic, Armed Struggle and the Construction of a Radical Nationalist Community in Northern Ireland, co-edited with Anne Cain and recently published with Routledge. His scholarly writings have appeared in critical studies on terrorism, oral history review, Irish political studies, and foreign Society, among others. He also works as a freelance journalist, and his journalism appeared in the Washington Post, RTE Brainstorm, The Irish Examiner, the Belfast Telegraph, and several continental European outlets. He currently works he is currently working on an international relations and politics textbook for Sage. Doctor Reinish, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I might start with a question that I'm sure you get asked quite a bit. Why do you, how did you as an Austrian historian become interested in the history of Irish republicanism?
1: Well, I think it started in early 2000s when I I was in high school and I became politically aware. And then... I became a political activist with um, the Iraq War in 2003, and I um, participated in the anti-war movement. And I was a political activist from then on. And I probably because at that time Austrian politics was a bit like boring, in particular for a young person. Uh, so I always had a great interest in international conflicts, um like palestine Basque country um l- conflicts in latin america and also uh the northern Ireland conflict which was back then more in the news than afterwards now it's back in the news because of brexit but um you know that was before the decommissioning of the ira and so on so it it, it was still in the news in austria and It really, basically, my interest then took off after a one-month holiday in 2006. And I was uh, starting uh, to study history at the University of Vienna uh, the year before. And I also enrolled in a degree in what was called uh, Celtic Studies in Irish Languages. Uh, At that time, uh, that was funded uh, partially by the Irish government. and that was at that time through an initiative from Eamon O'Quiff, who was the Minister of Education at that time. And they were funding like Irish language um degrees all over Europe. So I enrolled in one of one of these. That's basically um how it started. I think I, I stuck to the Irish conflict um because of the language. Um because I don't speak Spanish, so couldn't follow sources from the Basque country, no Arab. So, um, and then as part of my studies, I did a a one-year Erasmus exchange. So that's, I would say it's like a European equivalent to uh, the Fulbright uh, scholarships. So I spent one year in Belfast and there, I started with my first research on the Northern Ireland conflict and I interviewed women that were in the Republican movement in the 70s and the 80s. And, it's, and it went from there then.
0: Sure. So maybe if I could ask you a kind of a follow up question then about this, this process of carrying out interviews with people in Northern Ireland, because obviously that's become quite a large part of, of your current work. Uh, How do you set up interviews with people in Northern Ireland? Did you get any hesitancy? Are people just willing to talk quite openly? In general, what's it like to carry out interviews? I think
1: I would say it is uh, a challenge and it's difficult. And in particular, um, in a post-conflict society like Northern Ireland, where there is still Uh, a lingering conflict going on uh, because as you said there is a hesitancy um, you need to invest a lot of time to get interviews uh, to establish trust but then there's also the problem that as a student uh, first for my master thesis then for your phd thesis you are always short of funding Uh, you have deadlines Um, it's expensive to travel around Conduct interviews. Um, interview partners drop out. Um, but I mentioned before that I did my first research, my first interviews in Northern Ireland in early 2010 for my master thesis, and with Republican women. And I, these interviews were quite difficult, also very difficult to arrange. I think I had the first contact I did with or I had with the Republican women were over a year before. Uh, and the reason was that uh, some of the women I interviewed are in an organization called Kumanaman, which which uh, does not support the Good Friday Agreement. So they are still considered as a terrorist organization by the British government. So um, yeah. Are legal issues involved uh, as well in these interviews? Um, with the interviews for this book, um, uh, "Learning Behind Bars," that I just published, I would say it was a, it was easier because uh, it's based on interviews with uh, former um, Irish Republican prisoners, and um, I think. It was easier because um, my interview partners uh, spoke about their life in prison. So under a really like, um, um, in a closed environment, they basically, everything they did in the prison was uh, more or less observed, noticed, uh, controlled by um, the prison staff so um, and i was in the interviews mainly interested in the life in prison so that was much easier moreover um, i think it's easier to speak with people who have already been convicted once they won't be convicted twice for the same things and that so it really i think it, it really depends uh on your research question whom you're interviewing
0: Sure. So so this obviously you're focusing then on, on prison culture and on, on the experience of being in prison and what this means for Irish Republicans. And that seems like something we think we know, right? We we think we know what effect this has, what effects it has on the prisoners themselves and what effect it has on Northern Irish politics more generally. But that's something that your book challenges quite a bit. So maybe could you tell us a little bit more about that? What what did it actually mean to be in prison? How does that change Irish Republicans?
1: Yeah, I think um, as you said, like there is one researcher uh, in the early 1990s, John White. He he wrote in his book that uh, the Northern I- Northern Island is probably the best um, or 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 the the, the most um, closely researched area or region in the world, uh, and that's probably true. I mean, every year you have so many publications coming out about the conflict. And then, surprisingly, um, there's very little about life in prison. Um, There are a lot of academic publications about um, ex-prisoners, about uh, the role of prisoners after their imprisonment, after they uh, uh, were released, but very little about what happens in prison apart from publications written by prisoners themselves so um but at the same time in ireland Irish republican prisoners i i call them in my publications living marchers they have a um particularly important role in their communities when you read uh, newspapers, uh, Republican publications, all the time, it's mentioned. Um, this is not that person is a former prisoner. This is the one of the most important things. Um, but we don't. We know very little what happens in the prisons. But the prisons were a crucial period. For um the republican movement and for uh, the northern irish conflict i would argue that actually um what happened in the prison was uh, actually i would say it was the most important arena of the northern ireland conflict for various reasons because all the turning points of the northern irish conflict are linked with developments in first internment camps and then the prisons so i wanted to look beyond uh what is known about the prisons uh and what's known about life in prison because everyone deals mainly with the period of um, um, the prison protests in the late 70s and then the hunger strikes everyone knows bobby sands and the hunger strikers uh but very little what happened before and afterwards so then yeah i just i just wanted to say say briefly so um my my book uh, i wanted to write if you want like a, a story of life in prison from the start of what I call mass incarceration during the Northern Ireland conflict, so August 1971, with the start of internment, until um, the end of that period, which was uh, reached in summer July 2000 with the closure of the high-security prison. Um, But I also... um, I'm also not focusing on the, only on the developments in Northern Ireland. Uh, I also include um, the developments in the Republic of Ireland, so Leash prison, which was the high security, or is still the high security prison where um, politically motivated Irish Republican prisoners are held. So my book is largely like a, also a comparison between uh, the developments in the North and
0: the Republic of Ireland. Sure, so I might maybe ask you to talk a little bit more about that issue of comparisons. Um, Could you tell us more about what are the differences between being in prison in somewhere like the maze versus being in Port Leach prison? Are there gender differences in terms of how male and female prisoners experience incarceration? What are the differences, say, between being an IRA prisoner versus an INLA prisoner?
1: I think it depends uh, on uh, the period you're looking at it. And I mentioned it in my book um, that I would divide these roughly three decades of um, mass uh, incarceration mass imprisonment in uh during the northern Iron conflict into three uh, periods um the one starting uh in the early 70s until um the start of the prison protest so in the first period um the politically motivated prisoners both republicans and loyalists um they were guaranteed uh, special category status so they had more rights they were more they uh, had more access to um uh literature to education um so they were more or less uh, treated as uh, uh, prisoners of war although the british government never used never recognized them as prisoners of war they basically had the same rights this uh, period in northern line changes then with 1976 they lost um, the prisoners lose all their rights they they lose their uh, special category status and uh the period of prison protests start first with um what's called the the blanket protest because uh, prisoners refused to wear a prison uniform. So they wrapped themselves naked into uh, the blankets. And later, because of um, the harsh treatment, the brutality whenever they left uh, their prison cells and used the bathrooms, they started what was called um, a no-wash protest, which meant no cooperation with um, the prison authorities and and the guards. They didn't leave their cells. And uh, because of that, first, they threw their excrement out of the window. The prison guards threw them back in. So they started to put them, um, smear them on the walls. And this uh, period of protest, first with Blanket, pro. Protests and no-wash protest and culminated then in autumn 1980 and again in spring 81 in the hunger strikes. After the hunger strike, this period of protests end and it comes to um, a, a phase of liberalization from more or less 1983 on until the signing of the Good Friday Agreement and the release of the prisoners. So these are the three phases. They are largely mirrored in the Republic of Ireland. Um, There are also three similar phases. And I would say that prison experience is vastly different depending on when a prisoner was um, interned or imprisoned. And also between men and women. Um, for example, um, the, the f- period of prison protests in uh, the women's uh, jail, Armagh, uh, that was the main uh, prison where uh, Irish Republican women were held in Northern Ireland, uh, was much harsher. Uh, women joined the protest later. But um, in particular, the No Wash uh, protest was, uh, if you if if you uh, uh, speak with prisoners, uh, read their the the memoirs, uh, go through their accounts, uh, it was much more difficult, obviously, um, not to use any um, bathroom facilities or anything during these protests. Uh, much more difficult for the women. Another big difference, I would say, is uh, the role of uh, male and female prisoners within the Republican movement. Um, The Republican movement always liked to um, um, talk about women's issues. But in fact, um, the role of the women and the women prisoners uh, was clearly uh, second to the to the male prisoners, so they were not uh, that relevant for the Republican struggle at that time. Um, and that you can see and see it also in the example of the hunger strikes, because in 1980 the first uh, wave of hunger strikes, also three women uh, joined the hunger strikes. And then, um, this first wave of hunger strikes stopped in December and they restarted then again in March 1981. And at that time, the Republican movement decided that all focus should be on the hunger strike of the men in Long Cash, in the H blocks. Uh, and no woman should uh, join uh, the hunger strikes.
0: So you have this, I mean, all these kind of very famous things that are going on in the prisons and in some cases quite shocking things like people starving themselves to death or, or dirty protests or violence and intimidation during, during internment. And then you have this other side of the story that you tell that is, I suspect, less well known and in some ways less shocking but perhaps also more impactful and more interesting in, in subtle ways in the longer term, which is to do with education in the prisons. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what what are people studying in prisons? How are they studying and how are they getting access to materials?
1: You're right. Education is a really important, and it's basically at, at the core of the whole story that I'm that I'm telling because. What I always found interesting is that you know you had a shift of um, uh, the recruitment policy of the Republican movement. Also, who joined the Republican movement with the outbreak of the Northern Ireland conflict in 1969, and particularly after Bloody Sunday uh, in January 72. Then, um, after these dates. Uh, you had people joining the Republican movement um, who did not come from a Republican background, who were, who didn't. Uh, grew up in a politicised household. These people joined because they experienced uh, harassment, repression, Um, family members or friends got uh, interned. Uh, Some of my interview partners told me that they they were working overseas and saw uh, the repression, the burning of Bombay Street, uh, Bloody Sunday, and things like that on TV. So they came back to Ireland and wanted to um join the republican struggle but they didn't have any political uh, education and then uh, almost all of them end up in prison after uh, a few months or uh, a few years and they end up in internment camps in prison and demand treatment as political prisoners although they never had uh, a political education um, I think this is one of the crucial differences. You asked me before about the difference between um, the IRA prisoners and the uh, INLA prisoners, which is um, the organization, the National Liberation Army, which uh, considers themselves as a Marxist socialists socialist. Because uh, um, the INLA um, activists, they received, although it not not that systematic but they still received some political education they had the reading uh, uh, classes every week and things like that but the IRA members they didn't have that so they they come into prison um consider themselves as political prisoners although they have they, they didn't have any political education before um and suddenly they have a lot of time um they are in their huts or in their cells for 24 hours they're surrounded by all the comrades who tell them stories about the past Uh, and um, because they have so much time they get books from other inmates Uh, they go to uh, the internment camp library or the prison library and start reading and for some of my interview partners, that was the very first time they, they read a book. Uh, and the education um, be- becomes one of, uh, first I would say, one of the most important spare time activities. That changes then later. It becomes systematic and the Republicans systematically use the education but in the beginning, it was a spare time activity, and people start to read, and then they start uh, discussing, and um, with other inmates. And gradually, you see that uh, an education process emerges um, in the prisons. It slowly gets more systematic. They organize weekly classes, uh, and so on. And with The new education and the new political insights the prisoners get, they also start to question uh, the politics, certain strategies, certain tactics of the Republican movement. And they start to criticize uh, and comment on what's going on outside of the prison walls. And I think um, this is one of the, maybe I would say, the crucial. Um, argument of the book, the role of um, the prisoners in shaping the politics of the Republican movement. And I'm trying to tell the story how they um, followed um, what was going on on the outside and commented on it. And by commenting on it, how they shaped um, political developments. And that becomes then very important from I would say the mid nineteen eighties onwards um, um, and during the during the peace process and in this whole process um of course the the outside movement recognizes this as well and is trying to influence um the prisoners in what they read, what they discuss what comes out of the prison. Because of their particular important standing within the communities as prisoners, they're considered, as I said before, by their communities as the people who went into prison for us. Um, they are the heroes of their communities. So what they say is really important. Um, so sections of the movement outside of the prisons trying to influence the prisoners while the prisons also try to influence what's happening outside. So you have a process that goes in, in both directions.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so that's one kind of quite new thing that your book is doing. And, and another thing is um, you have an entire chapter about how Sinn Féin actually had a branch within Port Leach Prison in this period. And, and your research for that is based um, quite a bit on, on private archival holdings um, that you seem to be the first person to have ever use. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you found that collection and what you actually learned from it?
1: Um, yeah, I think. Sorry, I'm still there? Yeah, okay. Because I, uh, I have frozen for a second. Um, yeah, I think this is the one of the most uh, exciting aspects of um, uh, oral history research that, uh, well, of course you're trying to prepare as much as possible before uh, the interview, but you never know what happens during the interview. And as I said before, I, I was trying to to look at the situation in the Republic of Ireland as well. So I I did quite a few interviews with uh, prisoners who were imprisoned in the Republic of Ireland in Port Leash Prison. And um, during one interview with one particular prisoner who was in in Port Leash, he mentions that um, he has... Uh, three notebooks of the Sinn Féin cuman. So a uh, Cuman is the local branch of the of the Sinn Féin organisation of the of the Republican Party in Ireland. Um, and the parties are organised on local level. So in each region you have uh, you have these so-called Cuman. And also uh, the prisoners are organised uh, as Cuman. Um, so those prisoners who are in Sinn Féin. Not all of the Republican prisoners are in Sinn Féin. Uh, it's usually only a small section of them are in Sinn Féin. But um, he mentions that there was such a cumulineau in Port Leash when he was in the prison. And he has the, has these uh, notebooks, these minute books of the meetings. Um, and he said, and and he, this particular prisoner, he's actually the only prisoner that I... Uh, not um, uh, mentioned with his like his real name in the book. All other prisoners uh, agreed in their consent forms that I can use their real names. Uh, this particular prisoner didn't want me to use his uh, real name because he uh, he said he's hiding these notebooks since he got released which was run in like in winter spring 1985 1986. And he asked me if I want to have a look at these uh, minute books and he said he he has never mentioned to anyone that he has them. Um and know, ne- yeah he never showed them to anyone. So we met again uh, about a week or two after uh, afterwards and he had these three handwritten minute books with him and they covered the period from the late 1970s when the Sinn fein kuman was set up up until the time of his release which was uh, as i said at the end of so winter 1985 so it was like seven or eight years and it gives a detailed insight into the political social and also cultural life uh, of the prisoners in port leash um, these notebooks detail how many prisoners attended what was discussed uh, they usually had a weekly lecture who gave this lecture what was the topic and also other activities and then um, also um, they discussed the politics of the outside movement. And when it came to the annual Ardesh, so that's the annual uh, general meeting of, of Sinn Fein, usually held in like autumn of the year, they also discussed the various motions. And you can see in in this, uh, this minute books, um, the political opinions of the majority of the prisoners because you always have, like, um, when they were counting, like, who voted for for what, like, how many prisoners vote in favor of this and against this and that motion and so on. And I think it becomes then particularly interesting um, in – uh in the mid-1980s because you had, had a factional struggle within the republican movement between uh various tendencies uh about the question of participating in elections and par and uh accepting seats in par- in in parliaments and you see all these uh de- debates are mentioned in these minutes books and this is also the reason why the prisoner, because he was on a particular side in this whole factual struggle. Um, and when he got released, he knew that the Republican movement is going to uh, to split, and he didn't want the other side to get this, this, um, these notebooks. Now, some of the listeners might wonder why he could keep this, uh, these notebooks in his possession after his release that was uh because uh the prison staff thought these are his own personal notebooks and they didn't know that because they didn't look at it they just saw the three like handwritten books uh and they didn't check the content of it uh because usually you're not allowed uh to take any political or republican related uh, material out of the prison but they thought it was just his private diaries or so uh, and he only found actually found out when he was then at home and he looked into the box that he took out of the prison that these three notebooks were inside so it was a mistake also from uh, the prison staff to give him these notebooks and that was another reason why he um, kept them secret for so long and he still doesn't want anyone basically to know like that it's him who Uh, who has these books. And so the whole story of the Sinn fein Kuman and the lectures and what was discussed is very much linked also to the education uh, of the prisoners and the learning process of the prisoners. So that's why I have this one chapter trying to combine um, the memories of the prisoners as they are narrated in the interviews and this... um, primary
0: sources. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it's incredibly fascinating. and It must have been so exciting to see that material. Um, and, and I think the way which you're able to show them that the IRA is not this simple monolithic organization, that it's actually riven by a lot of ideological divisions and a lot of the tensions you'd see in, in many other organizations. Um, I, I might end by uh, by sort of returning to Central Europe. Um e- in your book, you talk quite a bit about the fall of the Berlin Wall and what this means for Northern Ireland. Um, so there's obviously a very international focus there. Um, why did the fall of the Berlin Wall matter in prisons on the other side of the European continent?
1: Yeah, I think people who are familiar with uh, the Republican movement might wonder why one chapter... Is uh, titled "The Fall of the Berlin Wall" uh, and the impact it had on the Provisional Republican Movement because um, you had, when the Republican Movement split in 1969, 1970, you had two wings: uh, the Provisional, uh, the Provisional IRA, and the Official IRA. And the Provisional IRA is that organization that nowadays people think of when they're talking about Sinn Féin and the IRA, which was, at the time of the split, the more nationalist um, wing, and then very much opposed to um, the Eastern European, uh, Russian, Soviet Union, and also Chinese type of communism and socialism. And on the other hand, you had the official IRA, which first political wing officially Sinn Féin, and later they they renamed the party to Workers' Party of Ireland, and 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 this other wing they really had close links uh, to the GDR, to the Soviet Union, to North Korea also, um, and the Provisional IRA wing, uh, which is uh, the subject of my book. They always considered themselves... Well, they were talking about socialism as well and democratic socialism, but they more considered themselves as being part of like, more the non-aligned bloc. Um, And they had their political and ideological links with the likes of PLO in Palestine, ANC in South Africa, um, and so on. But you had a more left-wing... Turned then from the 1970s on, in particular in the 1980s, when the systematic education started and the Republican prisoners started to read more uh, socialist literature and more um, international struggles. They read a lot about Black Panthers, uh, ANC, PLO, um, Gaddafi. Gaddafi also supported uh, the IRA at the time and they were also very uh closely following the developments of um Viet Cong and the, the Vietnamese war and they were talking about like some kind of Irish Tet offensive and they are getting like uh military equipment arms um plastic explosives and things like that from Libya and there was this understanding that I think there was this understanding that they might be able with the support from uh North Africa um that they might be able to establish an independent united island by force or um and that they might be able to establish a new island that is outside of uh, the capitalist imperialist bloc, uh, more um, an independent, neutral, non aligned uh, country. Um, and I think um, so, there were huge expectations in the mid and the late 1980s among the prisoners. And you had electoral victories of Sinn Féin, and um, it came at the same time when modern technology was introduced into prison. I think that played an important part. And what I, I mean with it is TV sets. Um, so, The prisoners got their first TV sets in the 1980s, in the mid-1980s, and they they were allowed to watch the news and everything. And some of the prisoners I interviewed, they told me they remembered the evening they were watching the news and they saw all these people um, in Berlin Um, and they saw the fall of the Berlin Wall. And all the prisoners uh that i interviewed who were in prison at that time and remember that moment uh, and there were quite a few of them they all said it was a huge shock for them because although they never supported the um undemocratic uh pro-soviet uh kind of of communism in eastern europe it was a shock to them because suddenly um their um vision that another world uh, uh outside of the imperialist block was possible. Um they just had the feeling okay we 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 were never allied to eastern european regimes but they had the feeling of um they lost and if they lose also we will lose against um we 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 will not win again against uh, British imperialism uh, if even these countries are loose. So um, there was a lot of depression in the prison after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And there was a lot of rethinking and people and, and prisoners tell me they were very demoralized. They thought, like, how can we get out of this whole uh, situation like how um, and Short, very shortly afterwards then the changes in South Africa happen, uh, and Nelson Mandela get released and I think that combined with the fall of the Berlin Wall was then the crucial turning point for the prisoners because after these months of demoralization after the fall of the Berlin Wall suddenly um, Nelson Mandela gets released and the IRA prisoners was okay um if we do what the ANC did in South Africa and if we can start a similar transformation process as the one in South Africa, uh we might we might not get the united socialist island, but we might come to a certain settlement, a certain agreement that would secure our release from prison.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, always I think, to think about how, even though often Irish history writing can be kind of in, inward-looking, that these big global events and even sometimes quite small global events have have resonance and have importance for Ireland. Uh, as I think all of this has shown, I mean everything you've been saying about your book, this is a, it's a really fascinating work. Um, Learning behind bars: How IRA prisoners shaped the peace process in, in Ireland. Is out now from University of Toronto Press. Dr. Reinish, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you.